Hello and welcome to the New Hope Church podcast. Don't forget to check us out online at newhopechurch.tv. And we'd love to connect with you on social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening and we hope you enjoy. All right, well, good morning. Welcome to New Hope. My name is Jeremy. I'm the Webster Campus Pastor. So I'm going to welcome in the Friendswood Campus this morning, uh, the Alvin Campus, the 288 Campus, those of you all over the place on the I Campus. We're so glad you guys are with us. And a special welcome to Webster Campus. Glad you guys are here this morning. Hey, listen, the last time, we'll do, let's, let's start with a little history lesson this morning, okay? Last time I was here was March 8th. There was a lot that has happened in the last seven months since March the 8th. It's felt like about 20 or 25 years worth of things have gone on the last seven months. We learned a little bit about COVID. Um, we shut down the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. Your kids all went homeschool, which has been interesting in my house. I have uh, three children at home still. Uh, so that was interesting. I had hair back then. That was only seven months ago. Um, but you made it. You made it to October. You, you probably somewhere along the way had your doubts. You had your concerns that you're going to make it this far, but you made it. So uh, we're so glad you guys are here this morning. I do want you to help me with something real quickly, though. October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and we are so thankful for the leadership that Pastor Tim and Jane have given this church for the last 30 years and especially the last seven months. We are incredibly blessed as we go through the Living by the Spirit series. Our key verse here, the one we want to keep driving in is, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And I just want to tell you, as we appreciate Pastor Tim and Jane, they embody this verse. They are humble, they are, they are passionate, they are servants, and they listen to the voice of God, and they try to keep in step with what the Spirit is doing. So we are so incredibly blessed to have them. The last seven months have probably been the most challenging seven months of their leadership time here, and um, we're so glad that they just keep listening to the voice of God and staying in step with the Spirit, which is easy to say sometimes and really, really difficult to do. Sometimes it feels like keeping in step with the Spirit is just, it's as natural as breathing. We're just going along throughout the day. Everything's working great. Uh, sometimes it feels like I haven't heard from God in a long, long time. So what do you do in those moments where you don't really know what to do? You're, you're not sure what, the step, what, what step to take to keep in step with the Spirit. Uh, you've probably heard it before. If not, you're going to hear it for the very first time. It's not original to me, but if this is the first time you hear it, it's original to me. If you don't know what to do, go back to where you started. Go back to the last direction. Go back to the instruction, the Bible. This is, as followers of Christ, this is our instruction book. When we're not sure what to do, Let's go back here and let's start there. Um, and it's always, a good, always good information, always good to go back to. In fact, Jesus talks a little bit about it. In uh, Matthew chapter 22, when he, he's asked, Teacher, what is the, which, commandment, sorry, which commandment is the greatest in the law? And Jesus declares, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here's where he, he references us back to Scripture. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So when we're not sure what step to take, and we go back to the Scriptures, you're going to see a common theme all the way through it. Love, love, love. It, easier, easier said than done sometimes, though, right? About 20 years ago, my wife and I, and, and I don't think we had any kids at the time, actually. We're living in Kansas. I was pastoring a church up there. And right across the street from the church was a guy named Eddie. I met Eddie out in the front yard one time. Uh, Eddie did two things, one of which I loved and one of which I tolerated. Um, Eddie loved to drink coffee. I loved him for that. Um, Eddie also loved to tinker on his house. I'm, I am 
I am much better at the destruction part of construction than the construction part of construction, but I really felt like God was, was telling me to, to build a relationship with Eddie, so I'd drink coffee at his house, and then sometimes we'd tinker at his house, he'd talk about what his next, uh, his next activity or his next plans were there. Um, and, and over the course of time, built a relationship with him, shared the gospel with him several times. I mean, he, he lived right across the street from the church. It was, uh, it was right there. It was easy for him to see what was going on there. Um, Eddie was not so resistant to the gospel as, as much as he was resistant to the church. Like he'd had some things that had happened in church life that had hurt him and uh, people that had hurt him. And he didn't really ever go into detail with me, but you could tell when we talk about the gospel, it always went back to people in the church. Um, so anyway, I, I shared the gospel with him on multiple occasions, several different ways, never really got anywhere. I was always, you know, kind of, kind of at, at arm's length. Um, so one morning I got up and I was walking down the hallway in my house and my cell phone rang. This was 20 years ago, so my cell phone was that bar cell phone, you know, the one that, that when you charge it, it stayed charged for like a year and a half. You, the battery, no battery drain, but you had snake on it. If you ever needed to play a game while you were bored, that was it. You had one choice. As long as you wanted to play that game, you were set up. And that phone rang one morning and, and it was, uh, I picked it up and it was a guy named Terry on the other end. And Terry was the overseer of the group of churches that we were part of at the time. And Terry said, hey, Jeremy, I got to have a tough conversation with you this morning. I want you to know, A, I don't want to have this conversation, and B, I don't believe anything about what I'm about to tell you, but I got to tell you what's going on. He said, I got a phone call last night from a guy named Eddie, and he told me his last name, and I knew exactly who he was talking about. And he said, Eddie is accusing you of having an affair with your youth pastor's wife. He says he has pictures of you and her going in and out of hotel rooms together and all kinds of stuff. He says, I, again, I, I don't believe any of this, Jeremy, but we're going to check it out. We're going to see what, what he has, and we're, you know, I'll, I'll keep you in the loop as far as where we are on stuff. So I hung up my phone. And I walked down the hall to where my wife was, and I said, Heather, and we'd only been married a few years at this point, and I said, Heather, I'm going to have to have a tough conversation with you this morning. And I want you to know everything I'm about to tell you is not true, but I need to tell you what's going on. And I told her about what I was being accused of by Eddie and, and uh, finished, and she said, Jeremy, she looked me square in the eye, and she said, Jeremy, I love you, and I don't believe anything that's being said, but I also don't want to be the wife that wakes up in 10 years and says, I should have seen the warning signs along the way. And I realized in that moment, in that moment right there, that Eddie had done something, he had introduced doubt into my marriage that was not his to do. Now, by the way, accused of, of having an affair with your youth pastor's wife would, would be difficult in the situation where I didn't even have a youth pastor. So I wasn't really sure where, like where we were going here. Uh, so I knew, I, was, I knew we were in the up and up there. Uh, so in that moment, though, you know, that accusation and that response from my wife, which I respected, and yet it hurt me at the same time, I said, there was, there was a moment there where I had some emotions towards Eddie. Uh, love the Lord your God. Love others. Love wasn't one of those emotions. I wanted to go to his house and express some emotion to him, but love was not on the list of early emotions to express. And so there, it's just... The truth is it's difficult sometimes to love people. You're in church today. You probably don't struggle too much with love the Lord your God because you felt his forgiveness and you felt his grace and you felt his kindness, you experienced his goodness. You know what it is to be loved by that God. But people, I mean, seriously, it would be easier if God just, if Jesus had it stopped to just love the Lord your God. I mean, have you met some people's children? Good heavens. How do you love Eddie? How do you love that person in your life that's so difficult to love? Do, do this for me this morning. Take just a moment. Um, 
I want you to answer a question, but I want to be careful that you don't write it down, okay? Because the answer to the question may be sitting near you today, all right? So um, as, as a, a way to preserve uh, your relationships, think about a person or two in your life that you find it really, really difficult to love. If you're sitting next to them, don't, don't write it down. Don't do it. Don't do it. That doesn't make it easier to love them. How do you love somebody that's so difficult to love? Well, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. We're talking about living by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit. The reality is we find in our life on a regular basis the edge of how much love we can give someone, the edge of how much we can care for them. And when we find the end of us, that's where we start to understand that it's only by the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says it like this. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies. Keep that word in mind. We're going to come back to it in just a minute. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Do you, do you see yourself in those words at any point in your life? Was there a moment you were ungrateful? Was there a moment you were wicked and God loved you anyway? Be merciful just as your father is merciful. So let's talk about enemies. It's always a fun conversation to have. Enemies is not just someone we dislike. Enemies, uh, in this context, the actual definition of the word is someone who is openly hostile to you. Do you have someone in your life that is openly hostile to you? Like if they saw you on the road, they would try to run you off the road. Open hostility or animated by a deep-seated hatred. No matter what you do, it's wrong to them. Deep-seated hatred. So it's, some of you hadn't thought of anybody when I asked you to think of the unlovable, and now all of a sudden you're coming up with a lot of people. Uh, or proceeding out of a personal hatred bent on inflicting harm. Love your enemies. Love the people that are bent on inflicting harm. So the command is to love. And God never gives us a command without the power to, to fulfill it, right? So the command is to love. The power is found in the Holy Spirit because the very first fruit listed of the Spirit is love. So it's not the fruit of me or the fruit of you. This is the fruit of the Spirit of God in us. And when that power is at work in us, man, we begin to love even the most difficult and unlovable people that God has brought into our life. What if, just, just hang with me for a moment, what if some of those difficult-to-love people are in your life simply for the opportunity to let the Holy Spirit grow in you and grow out of you and show the fruit of, of the Spirit that you would never have the opportunity to do if you were surrounded by only people who loved you and only people who cared deeply about you and were quick to forgive you and always assumed your best motives. Now, it's enemies in our life. It's the people that are hostile to us that give us the opportunity to, to, to display this fruit of the Spirit, which is love. So let's talk fruit this morning. I think everyone is probably relatively aware of what fruit is. It's not a difficult concept by any stretch of the imagination. Let me tell you, there are some strange fruit out there, though. You ever walk through the grocery store? There are hairy fruit. Um, there are things that I don't even know how you would cut through the, the, the skin of them. I don't know how you get them open. Uh, most fruit, though, the, the seed is on the inside, but there's that weird fruit called a strawberry where the seed's on the outside. I don't know how it worked its way to the outside like that. Um, there, are, there is a tomato. We can talk about tomatoes as a fruit. I don't, wherever you come down on the is tomato a fruit conversation, here's, here's my stance on it. If you serve me a fruit salad with tomatoes in it, we are not friends anymore. 
We're just not. You can put grapes, you can put everything else. We don't do, we don't do tomatoes in a fruit salad. So by and large, with fruit, one of the key defining factors of it is inside of the fruit is the seed. This is a strawberry, we'll deal with that. But inside the fruit is the seed. But I have a peach pit with me this morning. I don't know why it's a peach pit, not a peach seed. Someone will explain this to me later. But this peach pit was inside, this seed was inside the fruit. But here's what's really cool about fruit. Inside of this seed is the next fruit. So while the seed's in the fruit, there's also fruit in the seed. That's the whole point of of why the seed exists. Scriptures talk about it like this. You have been born again, and if you've been born again, this is talking to you. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. When you don't know what to do to keep in step with the Spirit, go back to the living and enduring word of God. It's imperishable in you. It does not change no matter what we do along the way. So this peach pit, I want to plant it in this incredibly fertile soil that I have here. Um, Hopefully by the end of service, it'll be a peach tree. Because I like peaches. I don't know about anybody else. I love peach. Okay, I should rephrase that. I like peach pie. I like peach cobbler. I like peach ice cream. I like peach ice cream on my peach cobbler. I'm not a fan of peaches, but I'm a fan of all the desserts you can make with peaches. So I'm hoping by the end of service, we will have a peach tree up here. It's a peach cobbler tree, actually, is really what I'm hoping for by the time we get done with service. But, but to grow anything, all I got to do is put it in the soil, give it the right atmosphere, give it the right conditions... And it's going to grow. The fruit of the Spirit is the same. The seed doesn't have to do anything. It's just going to grow if it's in the right place and the right conditions. The seed is in you. The fruit of the Spirit will grow in you if you put yourself in the right conditions. You put yourself in the right atmosphere. It will grow. You will grow. And the fruit of the Spirit will come out of you because it's imperishable. You can't run away from it. You can't mess it up. But all growth takes a combination of factors. There's physical growth, there's intellectual growth, there's spiritual growth, there's all kinds of growth. Uh, physical growth, though, uh, is primarily a function of time. And some people are, uh, have a built-in advantage when it comes to physical growth. You know that? Back in 2009, there's a young man born in India uh, by the name of Karan Singh. Now, Karan Singh's dad was six foot seven. That would seem to be a built-in advantage when it comes to physical growth in his life. But that wasn't his biggest advantage. His mother was seven foot two. So she looked down on, her, on his dad. Six foot seven, seven foot two. When Karan was born, he was over two feet. I'm, I'm still not sure if it's long or tall at that point. I think, I think by the time you clear two feet, you have to be two feet tall at birth. He was over two feet tall and weighed over 17 pounds. I think this is an appropriate time to have a moan of silence for Quran's mother, uh, who has endured a lot. By the time Quran was five years old, it was five foot six. Anybody in here shorter than five foot six? There is a five-year-old boy in India who is taller than you. He had a growth spurt, and so by the time he was eight, he was six foot six, which would qualify as almost everyone here today is shorter than an eight-year-old in India, okay? Six foot six. He had a built-in advantage to physical growth, and over the course of time, if he had the right atmosphere, the right conditions, mom and dad would feed him, you know, a couple times a day, maybe more. I can't even imagine what a six foot six, eight-year-old would eat. I can't even imagine. I know what a 19-year-old boy eats, and I have one in my house. Six foot six, eight years old, built-in advantage to all of his friends. 
You want to see see a picture of what a six-foot-six, eight-year-old looks like? I assume I don't need to point him out. (laughs) I think you guys got him figured out there, right? That's a built-in advantage to physical growth. But whether you have an advantage or not, it still takes time to get to where you need to get to. Intellectual growth. Um, Intellectual growth is not primarily a function of time. It's primarily a function of learning, right? Uh, A couple of years ago, there was a 13-year-old boy that entered the world mathematics competition. Sounds like an incredibly fun way to spend a weekend, if you ask me. World mathematics competition. And this competition is built upon the concept of eight minutes. You have eight minutes to solve as many, and I quote, complex arithmetic problems as possible. I don't believe the word complex needs to be in that sentence. I've never met a simple arithmetic problem in my life. I don't want to know what a complex one looks like. But this young man at 13 years old, in in eight minutes, 480 seconds, solved 230 complex arithmetic problems. That's two a second. I mean, that's that's every two seconds, he's solving another one. Every two seconds. You want to know what a complex arithmetic problem looks like? Anybody, like, just hate numbers in here? It's going to stress you out, okay? This is three of them. But in the competition, you don't get them at a column at a time. You get them like this. This, this screen stresses me out. And this young man at 13 years old solved 230 of them. You don't just roll out of bed in the morning and solve 230 of those. That's a function of intellectual learning. It's a function of, of, of growth. It's a function of doing what you need to do. So physical growth, primarily a function of time in the right atmosphere. Intellectual growth is primarily a function of learning. Spiritual growth, though, there's a, there's a time element there's, there's an atmosphere element to it. There's a learning element to it. What I'm going to tell you this morning, spiritual growth is primarily a function of obedience. Obedience to back where we started. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. When we stay here, obedience goes up. You can learn everything there is to know about this book. And you can spend all the time you want to in the book. But your spiritual growth begins when obedience begins in you. So know the Word of God. Understand the Word of God. Obey the Word of God. There's a, uh, a story in the Old Testament about a young man who has an opportunity to obey or disobey, a young man who's, who's kind of torn between two things. Uh, you're familiar with him uh, in general, and you're probably familiar mostly with this story. Uh, the young man's name is David. You're familiar with David? Uh, he was anointed the next king of Israel, uh, went out from there very shortly and killed Goliath, uh, a story that most people are familiar with, whether they attend church, uh, ever attended church or not. Um, he went out and killed Goliath, and then he befriended a young man by the name of Jonathan. Well, Jonathan was the son of Saul, who was the current king of Israel. So in the world of English literature, this is like the best story in the, that you could ever want, right? You have the next king of Israel who's done these great mighty deeds. You've got the current king of Israel, and, and his son is now best friends with David and son of the current king. And at some point, future king is going to become current king. Son's going to be stuck in the middle. This is every, every tension, every building story, all of it is happening here. So we're going to pick the story up uh, right about there where David has killed Goliath, um, uh, has befriended Jonathan. Saul then takes David into his company and says this. So, so Saul begins to direct David as his king, and David went wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul set him over the men of war. It was pleasing in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So everything is going really good, right? David's, David's prospering, which by, by extension then 
Saul prospers Jonathan. Both of these two guys that are, that are kind of on either side of his tension, both of them are doing really well, so Jonathan's in a really good place. Everything seems to be going great. That's uh, chapter 18, verse 5. Chapter 18, verse 9. So Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Well, that changed in a hurry, right? Four verses later, everyone's prospering, everyone's happy. Saul looks at David with suspicion. What happened along the way? Somebody, there was a few people started praising David, and it made Saul mad. You ever been in a relationship that changed in four verses? You were going along great. Everything was great. Everybody was happy. Everybody was prospering. Things working out really good. And sometimes without even you knowing what happened, you went from everyone's happy to looked on with suspicion. And it was that fast sometimes. You've probably all had that relationship. You've probably all been experiencing that relationship. You may even know others around you that have. And you know what that hurts like. What happened? And we were great. And then all of a sudden we weren't. I'm willing to wager that most of us, if not all of us in here today, have felt that pain. But I'm also willing to wager that most, if not all of us, have not had the experience that David had as the story goes along. So while David was playing his harp and a spear was in Saul's hand, see the tension building here as we go? Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence. Now, now, there's one more word in, in verse 11 that's really important. So Saul has a, a spear in his hand. Never trust a man with a spear in his hand if they're staring at you with suspicion from that day on. Just general rule. Saul with a spear in his hand, David playing his harp. And Saul says, I should pin David to the wall. Twice. Saul does it. Saul throws a spear at David. David somehow avoids it and then watches one of the servants go dig it out of the wall and hand it back to Saul. And David has to be in his mind thinking, there's no way he's crazy enough to do it twice. And yet he does. You've been here. I know you've been here. Someone does something, and in a moment your relationship flips, and you think, well, that was a moment. There's no way they're crazy enough to do it again. And then they do. Well, what do you do there? How do you love Saul in that moment? How do you love Eddie when he introduces doubt into your marriage? How do you do this? Let's keep going because we're still building tension. We haven't really got to resolution yet. But an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. And while David was playing the harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. This is, this is now the next chapter, which, by the way, in my Bible is, is entitled, Saul Tries to Kill David. David didn't read that, the heading, before we got here. So Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. Note those, those words. David made good his escape. Am I the only one that thinks tried to pin him to the wall is a really kind way to say tried to kill? It wasn't like trying to pin him by the hem of his shirt to the wall. He was trying to pin him to the wall with a spear through his chest. So it happens twice, and then the next chapter it happens again. You ever been in a relationship that just flipped in a moment? You thought they weren't crazy enough to do it again, and then they did? And then you found some space? And then you're not really sure how or why you ended up back in the room with them, but you did? And then they did it again? And Scripture says David actually made good his escape. There's a permanence in that language. He made good his escape. He got out of there. And this, this relationship, as crazy as it sounds, if you remove the spear from it, we can all identify with it. In fact, you may be able to identify it even with the spear. Verbal spears thrown 
by friends or some of those painful things that will ever happen in our life. And they are one of the places where the hurt becomes such that we no longer know how to love someone because the pain is too, too deep. In the moment, we know rationally in our minds the one thing we can't do when a friend or a former friend is throwing a verbal spear at us, the one thing we can't do is throw it back, right? Because then we become just like them. But we do. And not only do we throw verbal spears back in the moment, I know I'm not the only one that walks away from a heated conversation, and in my mind I'm thinking, this conversation is not over. We are not done here. And if I'd have said this, and if I'd have asked this question, and if I'd have done this, I would have won. And yet I would have lost at the same time, right? How do you love someone like David, or like Saul? How do you love someone like Eddie, who continues to put you in situations where you don't want to be, and you're tired of relationships flipping and, and spears being thrown at you? So we can't, we can't kill them, because that's unbiblical. We can't hate them, because that's unbiblical. We can't throw spears, verbal, figurative, or literal at them, because then we become just like them. So what can we do? How, how, what can we do in that moment? Wouldn't it be something that's super simple, not easy, simple? Love difficult people. Now, some of you may be surprised at the second line. You're one of them. But stay with me for a moment. When I asked you earlier to think of someone in your life that is difficult to love, is it possible that somewhere in the known world, when asked that question, your name crossed somebody else's mind? Because we're all difficult to love at times, aren't we? I oh, mean, we like to think that we're the most lovable people in the world, but we can be very difficult to love. So how do I love difficult people, especially because I'm one of them? How do we grow this fruit of the Spirit called love? The only answer I have for you today is this. Do less. Do less. And let the Spirit of God through you do more. Like life is this balance between what God can do through us and what we can do in our own strength. And when we begin to depend upon our own strength, we actually give less room for God to work in us. But if we'll back up and do less and let God do more through his spirit, we give him more room. I would encourage you, listen carefully when the spirit of God speaks to you. That still small voice that loved you when you didn't even know him, and gave his son while you were still a sinner, the one that called me and called you to be followers of him, planted that seed in you, planted that seed in me. And that seed that's in you, seed of love, that seed of the, the seed of the fruit of the Spirit, as much as you want it to grow towards those other people, and you do. I know you do because you've, you've worked at it so hard. You said, I'm just going to keep trying and keep trying and keep trying, and if it kills me, I'm going to love that person. And the problem is it just might kill you because you found the edge of what you're able to do in your own strength. That Holy Spirit that puts that seed inside of you, as much as you want it to grow, he wants it to grow even more. He wants it to grow even more. Because when it grows under him, it brings glory to the Father. And that's the whole point of the Spirit of God. So I'm going to give you three things this morning. These are not to-dos. These are not step-by-steps. These are things to keep in mind as you interact with difficult people, of which you may or may not be one right now, okay? Don't look at anyone sitting near you for confirmation as to whether or not you are a difficult person 
specifically this morning. First one is count on the Holy Spirit. This, uh, whatever your name is, your name is not the Holy Spirit, okay? You've counted on you. I've counted on me so many times that I think that's the way it should be. So I count on Jeremy. But then I run out of love. I can't love Eddie out of my own flesh. I want to express other emotions to Eddie out of my own flesh. Love's not on the list. If you've tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed, count on the Holy Spirit to grow the seed into fruit. You can't make that seed grow. I can't make it grow. All we can do is put it in the right conditions. And if you're in church this morning, and you are, you're in the right atmosphere for growth to occur. This is one of the ways that we can feed the, the thing, the, the Holy Spirit within us so that it will produce fruit is be in the right atmosphere, be in the right conditions. Second one this morning, count on the Holy Spirit to see people as God sees them. This is a tough one. It's simple, it's just not easy, right? Genesis 1, scriptures tell us that God created every single human being in his image. And when we look at them, we don't always see the image of God. In fact, sometimes we see the opposite. As Saul grew up, early in his life and then into his adult years, his only mission in life was to kill as many Christians as possible. Somewhere along the road of his life, he had an incredible encounter with God, and Saul became Paul, and Paul wrote the bulk of the New Testament. The person in your life that you are finding difficult to love may be just this side of an encounter with God that turns them from Saul to Paul. Can you see him that way? No. <laughs> nope. But the Holy Spirit can through you. Because he sees what they're going to become. He's not stuck in our time. He knows that Saul's become Paul's all the time. And you know how I know that's true? Because I was one of them. I was a Saul. And I became Paul. And so were you. Jesus deals with it in Matthew 18 when he says, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter gives a man, or Jesus says, Peter, who do people say I am? And Peter answers this question. Then Jesus follows up with, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, on that rock, I'll build my church. And that rock, Peter, shortly thereafter, denied Jesus three times and ran away from the relationship. But Jesus knew that was coming. But he also knew what was coming in the redemption plan for Peter later in his life. He saw what you and I were going to be, and that's why he loved us. Count on the Holy Spirit to help, help you see other people the way God sees them. Third thing this morning, count on the Holy Spirit to help you pray for your enemies. Not the prayer you want to pray for your enemies. I'm not the only one that wants to pray, Lord, strike them dead with the jawbone of a donkey. That would be justice, Lord. Let them know how wrong they are. Pray good prayers. 1 Timothy 2.1 says uh, Paul is asking that prayers be prayed for all people at all times. Matthew 5, Jesus takes it a step further and says, pray for those who persecute you. So instead of raising your voice and saying, I'm being persecuted, pray. Pray for those who persecute you. You are, if you're doing this thing the right way, you're going to find that there is an end to how you can pray for them. You run out of words. Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness with prayers too deep for words. Sometimes the most effective thing you can do in prayer is to sit in front of God and just say their name. Pray that they would come to know Christ. Pray blessings on them. Pray that they would experience the kindness and goodness and love and forgiveness of God that you and I have experienced. Pray that they would experience 
grace. I, I know you don't want to. You want to pray justice for him. I get it. I'm with you. I'm, on a bad moment, I might even cheer for your justice prayer. Grace is never a fair thing until I need to receive it. But thank God for the grace that I've received through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the people in your life that are unlovable, they don't need you to pray justice. They need to experience the grace of God. Pray that they would receive that grace. You may be here today and you say, you know what, Jeremy, this all sounds nice. Do less, let God do more. Trust the Spirit, be in the right conditions and watch what happens. But all you have in your recent memory bank is rotten fruit that's come out of your life. Well, I got some good news for you this morning. First off, his mercies are new today. His forgiveness for you is new today. But secondly, no matter how rotten the fruit is, there's still a seed inside of it. A seed, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that wants to come out in you. You've gotten where you are because you tried so hard. It's been some good, but you also found out there's so much you can't do. Let God start doing less and let God do more. And I'm telling you, the fruit you've been wanting to experience and the fruit you've been wanting to share will come out of you when you do less and you count on the Holy Spirit to do more. Would you stand with me this morning? If you've not taken that step, if you don't know what that forgiveness is that I just talked about, man, we would love to pray with you today. There is forgiveness for the worst parts of your life, the parts you don't even want to talk about. God's grace is enough for you today. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I'm, just, I'm, I'm putting out some rotten fruit or I'm having a lot of trouble loving somebody. If you would text the word prayer to 642-123. Normally we would have prayer partners up front and we do this in person, but obviously we've got some restrictions right now in the world we live in. So, but if you text that, if you text that word prayer to 642-123, you will hear back from an actual factual living human being, okay? I promise. That will pray with you, pray for you, and would love to help you as you do less and let God do more. Can I pray for you this morning? Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much, God, that you sent your son to die for our sins and you sent the spirit to produce life through us. Thank you for your fruit. That is not meant for us, but it's meant for the world to see the goodness of God. Lord, I ask for those in this room this morning who've never taken that step. Today's a great day. It's a great day to be a follower of Jesus Christ. For those that maybe would say, my, the rottenness of my fruit in my life has disqualified me. Lord, your forgiveness and mercy is new today. And Lord, for those that would say, man, I just don't know how to love that person. Lord, let them do less and let your spirit do more through them. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. If you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to subscribe, share it with friends and family, or let us know by tagging us at New Hope Church TV on social media. We would love to connect with you. Thanks for listening.